If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today's guest is Megan Jones. Megan was a silver medalist in the Beijing Games and also she won a team bronze at Arkin. She runs her own equestrian centre now at Hallmark Farm in South Australia. How are you today, Megan? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> Great. Megan, we often start off with a favourite inspirational quote or a favourite quote that you use when you're teaching. Have you got one for us? Well, I always was always told by my parents to just work really hard to make your best the best it can be. And I think that still applies now and yep. um, applies to all riders, yeah. And I think that's a really good quote coming from an Olympian too because everyone wants to go to the Olympics and they think if they don't make it, they're not good enough. But, it, you know, they're, <laughs> they're good enough in lots of other areas and if they focus on being yes. as good as they can be, then they've done their best. Absolutely, and mm. that's all you can do yep. is your best. No yep. better than that. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. And has there been a time when you've taught that to your students? Is that what you teach them as well? Oh, all the time, all the mm, time. You have, mm. I think also these days, I sound, I sound really old now with Facebook and social media, that kind of stuff. All the kids are exposed to what everybody else is doing and then they pitch their own performance against other people all the time, yep. more so than when I was a kid. And it could just seem some of them crazy. I'm like, no, stop it. Stop it. We just yeah. focus on your journey, your ride, and the best you can be and ignore the rest of it. Yeah. Yep. yep. I like the way you said that, focus on your journey, your ride. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, how did you start with horses? What were your first memory? My first memory was that being put on what felt like a horse the size of a giant gum tree when I was about three years old, I think. <laughs> but I had to just being that high up and looking down. I actually had this really clear picture of looking down like parents and feeling like I was literally in the sky. But I'm sure it was only about sort of 15 hands for the horse. <laughs> um, but, but that was the first thing. And then my parents moved to some land in Mount Bark when I was about five years old. And my mum went, oh, just get a pony. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's pretty much how it started. Okay, okay. And it's a long way from just getting a pony to to riding in the Olympics, to, you know, a, a world championship level, riding at that level. Had you always wanted to ride at that level or was it just sort of one step after the other? No, it, was, it kind of was. We had the world championships in Gawler in 1986, so I was not quite... 10 years old mm-hmm. when that happened. Yes. And I remember I started my Barbie camera. I got my got in a Barbie show bag from the Royal Show. Yep. And I ran around that cross-country course at the World Champs taking photos with my Barbie camera with no film in it <laughs> um, all day and I left my parents and just was on my own and was just like gobsmacked at the side of the fences 
and can just really clearly remember going, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. I want to ride for Australia and jump these fences. And that was just my goal. Like everyone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I want to win gold medals for Australia. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah. Good, good. So for someone else, because everyone wants to go, everyone, I'm sure, you know, because you've got your own property, you teach a lot of riders and you've got people that start off, maybe not with you, but start off at your property as beginners and then ride through. Now, Mm -hmm. what character traits or what skills do they need that you might say, wow, I think this person's going to go a long way? What, What would you be looking for? They have to be really naturally determined and naturally able to cope with disasters. Like a disaster can be the horse gets a foot abscess, she missed a comp. The horse puts its leg to a fence, it misses six months of, of work. So disasters can be big or small and it's being able to absorb those and just go, okay, I refocus on the next goal that I had. So I need to go to these three events to get to that particular Pony Cup State Championships or whatever it is. And if you don't get to those events for some reason and you miss out on qualifying for state championships, then you go and you focus on the next state championships instead. And I was always able to just go, oh, well, that didn't happen. What's next? And look forward to the next and not dwell on what's happening now if it's it's all a bit sort of bad because that can consume people a lot. And then you just get in a fog then. Um, So that's a really strong trait. Obviously, we've got the talented riders. And I say that, you know, you sort of, yes, you do, yes, you don't. Like, I was apparently fairly talented. I don't know how people actually saw that. I often felt like I really, I, I know I, I couldn't sit trot, I had bad posture, I couldn't see a distance. So, to me, that wasn't a very talented rider, particularly, but I think because I was just so determined and because I have a stutter, I was always really scared to ask people things like, I copied a lot of people. I copied a lot of writers that I liked. I watched a lot of videos and just sort of worked out how they were doing things and then worked out in my own head. So it's that sort of self-belief, I guess, and that ability to be talented or not talented but see what's going on and learn from people around you as well. And not have to be told what to do every single step of the way. It's good to be told, but you've got to work it out on your own. Because when you're out there galloping at top speed, at top level, no one's there to say, oh, half halt now. Mm, <laughs> you've mm. got to be able to do that. Yep, yep. Yeah. And, and those videos of riders doing things that, you know, you wanted to watch those riders or other people who've influenced you, who were they? Well, what it was, my grandparents um, were from, or lived in England, and they videoed on VHS ah, okay. videos, um, yep. Olympia, Babington, Burley, and Hickstead, and would see those tapes to us, and as kids, we would just watch them over and over again. So it was Ian Stark, Lucinda Green, Ginny yep, Elliott, yep. Mark Todd, like all those guys riding, you know, those those crazy big tracks on often some pretty feral horses. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you just watch it and just go, how do they get those fences? How do they sit? What's their ha- what are their hands like, you know? And then the Hickstead, you know, how they were getting those big fences and their balance between the fences. I would just watch and analyse all of that. Mm, mm. That was very good of your grandparents because it wasn't it wasn't like you could jump on YouTube and have a look at those riders. No. So it must have taken them. <laughs> no. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was just so lucky to have all those VHS videos, which I think my dad has now put onto hard drive. All those has VHS he? Videos from that wow. Yeah. Wow. He spent about 18 months putting all our photos, their slides from their travels, all our home videos from us as kids and everything on hard drives for us. Yeah, that was um, a long process. For Gee, us that's good. That's got good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now you've talked about Gumtree, the horse that you thought that you're in the sky looking down at your parents. What? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> you're probably thinking, who's Gumtree? Um, yes. what, what about other horses? Who do you think has had influence? I mean, obviously there's horses that you ride at big competitions. Has there any, been any other horses along the way that – you oh, particularly absolutely. learned things. Okay. I was really fortunate enough when I was 10 turning 11, so just, just after World Champ, when I watched it in Agorla, that next for 12 months to be given. I had an Arab pony that um, I took up the junior, well, one star in terms of grade one. So back then that was a mere 10 length, one star. He built in the 12th year. I was 11 at the start of the season, turning 12 in November. And this little... Arab horse, let me, God knows how, take him up to Prince Club Grade 1 and Junior 1 star and compete him at that level when I was 11 years old. Then um, Gavin Ramsey retired his three-star horse. We were just, just teeny was his, his name, I think, and he gave him to me. And again, I was 11 turning 12 at the time. I couldn't get this thing on the bit to save myself. It was like 16-3 and about 27 foot long, but it jumped everything and just carted me around. So I was really fortunate at a really young age to have a couple of one horse that carted me around and the other Arab that I had to kick around, like, you know, hit it and kick it and, you know, kick it yep, and, and yep. gallop it and fences to sort of jump everything. And, and just being able to just jump those tracks just made me a little bit sort of fearless, I think, yeah, um, yeah. and really set me up. And then like, we bought a three-star horse for me to the grand sum of $7,000, which back then was like a lot of money. And I was 15. I managed to go three-star on him for my 17th, my 18th year and jump around some big tracks again. I would sit on the arena on him crying because I could not sit top right? Because if I had that horse now, it would win a gold medal. It was, his name was Hats Away and like just a phenomenal moving horse, phenomenal jumper and I struggled on the flat with him though. <laughs> he was a bit hot and bouncy but would jump and was an amazing jumper again and I got, just got to ride those big tracks and those guys were just the horses that really set me up with my I know, bravery, my skills and then I had a horse that broke in when I was about 15 as well, really talented, offered like blank checks from George Sanner and Rod Brown. Didn't know what I was sitting on, obviously. We bought him as an eight-month-old colt. Broke with myself, was super careful, obviously. It was more of a show jumper. I managed to make it stop at oxes, stop at ditches and ditches and brushes. But then they had to learn how to make it jump again. And so I learned so many skills there. That horse back up the three-star again. And in those days, the really big ditch and brushes, yep. you could always jump through them long ways. <laughs> so get, get away with those jumps, jumping down and ditching out the ditch. But then as the course was modernised a little bit, I couldn't do that. And I retired in three-star. I gave to my sister <laughs> line. But I learned, again, so much about a stopping horse and how to work out their brain and the exercises to get through all that as well. So they were ones that really set me up. Mm, mm. 
And have there been, you talked about Gordon Ramsay or Gavin Ramsay and getting his retired yes. three-star, and I know your parents and grandparents have helped you a lot. Other people who've helped you along the way, who have they been? Oh, back then, Gavin, he gave me lessons. I had um, our, our vet's wife, Sue Luce. She taught me from when I was 10 to probably 15, twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. And my mum kind of took me as far as she could, being a non-horsey mum and learning herself as well. And then she looked around and found Sue, who was BHS trained and very English and lots of lunch lessons and obviously instilled some really good basics in me as well. Yep. And and she was great. But then she just stopped teaching to go have a, a family, which was kind of sad because then from that point onwards, I didn't really ever have a consistent coach. I mean, we talked about the clinics. Um, Chris Bartle was out quite a bit back then, so I go to him every time he was over. Lucinda Green was over way back then. And she didn't come for a while. And he's back coming again, again now to... Australia, about only did a handful of clinics with her. And then I sort of met my dressage coach, who I still have lessons with now, when I was about, oh, maybe 22 or 3. So who, um, who's that? Thomas. Thomas Mullenbeck. Oh, yep, so the German yep. guy from Queensland now. So I met him, he comes down to Adelaide quite a bit, and he's my main uh-huh. dressage coach. Some years I'll see him twice a year because I'll be away every time he's here I could be away pitching myself to a clinic or competing last year I got to see him about four or five times so this year I could see him four or five times this year I book in about six lessons every time on a few horses and it's just been really good even though it's been it's been inconsistently consistent with Thomas but I just get him and he just works really 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 well and then Show jumping wise, he had a lot of lessons with George Sanner when he used to come down. Yep. And then, but the last, oh, I wouldn't even know, probably for 10 years. Yep. 10 years probably, um, Jamie Coleman. Um, and so he comes over quite a bit and have had some really good success with him, him too. And then being down where we are in SA, I have a lot of videoing of myself and watching it. I've just recently, we've just recently moved on the indoor. I've got mirrors for the first time in my life, and they are just like phenomenal. <laughs> it's like, have <laughs> you been on my life mirror <laughs> in the indoor? It just oh, it helps so much, makes life so much easier to self train. Yep, yep, yep. Now, I want you to think about your proudest moment. Has it been one proud moment or a few proud moments? My proudest moment, it would have to be the Olympic Games mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I actually think I uh, Olympic Games, obviously, we, we won a silver medal as a team, and I play sports individually, and that's all fantastic. We actually lost the gold medal. <laughs> we <laughs> gold medal position after the, the dressage. So it took me, like, a while to actually come to terms with only winning a silver. Mm. And then when I finally got my head around, like, I'm making you brat. Like, you may never get a chance like that ever again in your whole life. And you managed to get to the games, and you managed to also win a medal and play sport. Like, that's pretty unreal. So we're actually, as a team, a little bit like cranky, actually, <laughs> after the games for a while. But my proudest moment was winning the narrow court Young Rider National Championship in 93. Mm-hmm. That's the most I've ever cried winning an event. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that was just, to me, I just felt like I've made it, this is it. I've won a, a national champ. 
on hats, my grey horse that I couldn't sit for on ever. <laughs> um, and it just felt so good to win that. Yeah. And then when I won Adelaide on Jeff in 2005, Irish Hallmark had just died about three weeks before that from a spider bite in the paddock. We had an anaphylactic reaction to something. We found him dead in the, in the paddock. And I won that, but I really felt like I won that for Paddy, and that mm, was there mm. with me. So I felt really proud to win it on Jeff with Paddy there, and that was really sort of nice. I cried a lot for that. So I'm proud if I cried most probably. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and so that was but, but, but getting on that Olympic team, like when they ring you up and say, Megan, you're, you're on the team. Yes. And you're just like, a flawed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah. this is amazing, really amazing. And from that moment on, from the games, like the whole thing is like a bit of a, not a blur, but you don't remember much of it because you're so focused on doing mm. your job. And I really had, someone said, I don't remember who it was, but someone has said, be really careful that you don't, over train once you get to to Hong Kong for us, not not Beijing. Mm. Because we were there for eight days prior to the the um yep. the vet check. Yep. Yeah, all the dressage rides, all the best rides in the world, all your heroes are there, you know? And I'm just making Jones and Hand off on my homebred fifteen three hand pony, Jester. Mm-hmm. Um that I've only recently got on the bit properly because it's so <laughs> hard to get him round to get him to work on the flat. And I got there, and I was like, you know what, Megan, you've been picked on how good you are now. Do not try and make anything better mm-hmm. because just maintain what you have and do what you know. Yep. And that was really important. I think you can get very overwhelmed. People do get overwhelmed at games and go into a weird sort of headspace. And it's keeping that in, that in my mind. I was just so focused. I don't remember the crowds. I don't remember the cheering. I don't remember hardly anything. Mm-hmm. from the game. <laughs> it was um, really bizarre, but you just stay fo- focused on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about, because you would have had challenges along the way, besides not just being able to get your horse on the bit, but other challenges, yeah. you know, <laughs> sitting trots hard, getting the horse on the bit's hard, but <laughs> but what else? Breaking what are the challenges? Hard. Oh, you break them down. You don't mean to do a, a tendon or a suspension ligament. Like Jester blew out both his front leg tendons. Mm. Um when was that? So 2003? Yeah, 2003. 2003, we beat a brand new pro ride gallop track close to us, and I was galloping him or canter, and he was quite steep. His heart rate monitor on, and it went up pretty quickly at the top of the hill, quite high. Strange for him. And I walked back down again, it didn't drop below 132, and I went, that is really weird. Oh, I jumped off, pulled his boots off and there were two broken. Oh, I'm no. like, what the hell? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, so we, and that just sends you into a spin, but you know, we just rehab it and you do our equisite and Fred lights that we use and do our stuff. And then by almost the same time next year, he was fit and ready to run at Badminton in England. So the Florida Horses England, mm. him and Paddy. And then Jester managed to do a check ligament grazing the paddock by shining at something and whacking himself <sighs> behind the knee. Yep. And he was lame the entire time when he didn't get to do anything on him. Took pay to Babington instead. He broke down his wing. He had a wound operation years before that somehow was a, had a, a nerve graft, not a tie back. And somehow the nerve graft on the, on the larynx had calcified and fractured his larynx. 
because you try and bring home two broken horses. And then thank God we did because we just, mum just said, right, hook it on the credit card. We were planning on getting one on the team for Athens, you see, and then getting one of them flown home. So that's the risk you take from overseas, we're not our team, and then we can afford to bring one home. And then we had two broken ones to bring home. So like, oh, put the credit card, put another credit card to the bank, put another credit card, <laughs> put the 50 grand on the credit card and blew the two broken horses home. Yeah. And then, luckily we did, because that was 2004, then I got Jester, um, he came before, and then by the next year, um, Adelaide, we won Adelaide 2005, went to World Champions in 2006, went to Beijing in 2008, Got on the team in 2010 for Kentucky, then he was kind of sick on the plane on the side. So didn't get to ride the world champs in Kentucky, you know. So, um, yeah, so you have the you get right on top of the sport and then the disasters keep on rolling at you, yep. you know, and you just have to go, what's next? So I got, I got to London and then I reserve, I get on the team to Shanghai Center Lane, Floyd stick the stick on something at some point. And punctured his soul, and on the second day we're in there, went excruciatingly lame. Had to get, go out, had a press conference with the you know Olympics and stuff, and just saying, you know, well, how are you dealing with it, and what's next? And I'm like, well, this is done now. I'm getting married next year in in January, so I guess I'll just go home and yep, and buy heaps of chairs and order <laughs> marquee, and it's the next thing on my list, you know. Yes, and so you yes. just keep moving forward. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. yep. Now I. I can get that in your conversations, you know, just work hard to be the best you can and just keep moving on. What's next? What's next yeah. on the list? What's, What's next? the next goal? Move yeah, on, focus exactly. on that. Yep, yep, yep. Now, thinking about, you know, kids that, that learn to ride at your property and then they end up getting their own horse and carrying on or even just common competition faults. What's a common fault that you see People do at competitions and not necessarily at a high level, but it could be at a low level right through that you think that they can learn from. They aren't prepared enough. Even though they a coach and they don't go through their dressage test enough, say. They don't visualise their cross-country course in their head well enough. They visualise having problems on cross-country, not visualise jumping the fence clear, you know, and it's really hard to go into a course and visualise jumping every fence perfectly, you know, you've got to feel it in your seat, in your hands, in your legs, what's going to feel like coming into the fence, jumping it, galloping the corners, all that sort of stuff, and to teach the kids how to do that is like, it's quite an art and um, for them to learn that, so quite often you go, yeah, one, two, three, four, there's the oxer, three strides there, yeah, that's fence five, but they don't feel it in their entire body going over the whole course. That's a really important skill to have. And then, because then it also highlights to you what you haven't learned when walking the course enough. Like I'll go out on my big event and re-walk a fence that I am struggling with to visualise and feel it properly. Yep. And yep. visualise the line 100%. I'll go back out there in the morning and walk that line, go away, close my eyes, the whole course again and stop that fence back in there again how it should be jumped okay. and yeah I really got to make sure I, I do that and then and, and practice this in the chest it's like not just going over and over the chest until the horse anticipates it but it's warming up in your arena and then going out and trying to ride that chest in a imaginary arena out in the paddock so you're going from one area to another area and your horse is a bit upset and even at home you'll get distracted by the donkeys next door or something and you've got to learn to cope with that 
because that's what what sort of happened at the competition. Mm-hmm. And they get a bit blinded by being like home blind, or they call like an American barn blind. I'm really good at home. And I get the confidence, horse just listen to me enough. But because you're not actually working at home on your aids enough, you know, they've got to be able to put the pressure on them, take the pressure off them, and they actually, you don't avoid conflict at home with the horse. You actually go, okay, you don't like that? Let's work out how to make you more supple. You can do that movement. And then when you get to go and ride your test and they get excited once they're out, you know what they're going to do and you know how to deal with that. They're the biggest two things, I mm-hmm. think. And then obviously cope with show jumping nerves because most eventers hate show jumping. Like yes. so many of us are so scared of show jumping, which is yep. so bizarre because they fall down. But yep. um, yeah, people are terrified. So it's, it's, it's being able to cope with those nerves as well. And there's no other way to practice that than just you have to go in there and know your track, walk the course, know it, and know your horse. Yep, no, yeah. that, that's good. Now, you obviously you teach your own riders, your own students about visualisation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's good. I think that there, there seems to be a bit of a gap, you know. I think that while it's recognised it's so important, a lot of coaches are so focused on the job that they don't realise yes. the benefit in the, the actual teaching visualisation. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a huge thing. And when I'm teaching, I, I use my phone a lot to video what they're doing, yep, yep. good or bad, and then show them. And they're like, oh, I really am not on the track at all. Or Rob said, no, you're not on the track. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they can't yeah. see or feel or they've turned to a fence too early. Yes. You put cones out for them, but they still don't recognize it without the cones there. So you mm-hmm. video it and they're like, oh. I've got that. Mm-hmm. So the visual aspect for all riders is a huge thing. And if they can, then, and then I turn that conversation into visualizing the turn and starting in small steps like that before saying, right, now visualize the whole course, <laughs> all 25 fences. Yep. We just do it step by step with them and yep. try and start young yep. with them as well. Okay, okay, that's good. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Now, we talked about you videoing on the phone, you know, sort of using technology yep. to just to complement what people are learning riding-wise. Have you got a book or other, yes. something else that you can use to complement people? Yep. A book, you said? Yes, a please. Book. Any yeah, book that you could recommend for our listeners? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, actually, no, there, actually, there is a really good book for people that, and again, people are stuck for what to do at home on their own mm. quite often. So they don't have a training plan, a plan of what they want to achieve each time they ride, but they end up riding around in circles and going, well, that wasn't very helpful. So there are these books called 101 just like Exercises, 101 Jumping Exercises. Okay. And it's 101, it's a great big, like, arts folder type, <laughs> type book with all these exercises in it, how to write, and they're very simple. And some take lots of equipment, some take not much equipment at all to set up. And you just say, right, well, today I'm going to do this jumping exercise. You go and set it up and you walk it out. You learn to walk your paces. And if you're on your own, you're going to have to problem solve doing that as well. And if a dressage one say, right, I'll do this one. Okay, that seemed pretty good. Now I'll link it to this exercise over here as well. So people on their own can just link things 
together as well, you know, and all exercises at some point are good for a horse. Yep. You know, yep, there's yep. not really a bad exercise for a horse, really. Okay, cool. All right, now, what are you looking forward to now? What What does your future hold? We have got World Champs next year in September, and so Candy, um, so Coop, Coop Park Impress just came second to Adelaide in the four-star for so first attempt. I was so, so proud of it. Not a little homebred horse, a four-star Red Cross. We're aiming her towards World Champs. We'll go to Sydney, the CIC in February. There's a Tom and Buck for a CIC in March. Back up to Camden for a CIC in April. And then back up to Sydney in <laughs> April for the three-day event. Who would spend 10 grand on fuel? I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but that's just the reality of it. I've got to travel from SA. I've got to travel mm, a lot mm, to get to the good events, to compete against the right people as well. Like I could do a three-star here in SA and compete against myself. That's, you know, you still want to finish on a good score, but there's not much pressure on you, you yeah. know, to win that class, you know, only person in it. So I travel a lot to compete with the rest of the good guys yeah. and go to Sydney three-day and with most of the riders who are aiming from Australia to go to WEG will be at Sydney mm-hmm. and then Melbourne is, is the backup three-day event for selection if something goes wrong at Sydney. So like this year I went to Sydney as my qualifier to get to Adelaide four-star. I jumped through the water at fence eight. She sort of jumped to the big hedge, the skinny hedge coming out, missed it and jumped the side and felt like she had no power at all. The reason she had no power was the breastplate had broken on the girth and a saddle had slipped back. There's an elastic in the breastplate. It was like choking her and restricting her shoulders and I was sitting on her loins. Mm. I'm like, well, mm. you really couldn't have jumped up the hill over that <laughs> giant skinny brush fence on there. So I had to walk home. Yep. And so I went to Melbourne instead of my backup three-day event to qualify for Adelaide, you know. So you always have to have that backup event. Yes. Um, so that's our goal from now to April is to get her – Sound and strong and um, nice and fit. Um, I should just say fit and, fit and strong and keep her sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That way around. And yep. then bring the young horses through. And I haven't got a huge team, team of horses. So we've got a nice small amount of horses now. And then get James, my husband, doing better dressage tests on his horse this season as well coming. Um, so he's got a cracker of a horse. It's a bit noisy in the flat. So, <laughs> and to get James to ride more than once every two weeks, that'll be a really good goal. <laughs> and that way he might actually improve on the flat as well. <laughs> and then he just is so time poor with a list that I give him that never seemed to end, which is more his problem. Two <laughs> jobs to do. But then Tokyo after that. So, yes, we're sort of got a big, big program for the next sort of three years, really. I see, you know, I mean, I thought right through your interview that your goal setting came in, but no, you're really good with your goal setting. You've got it worked out. And I'm sure that if anything, yeah, same thing. Oh, well, that's not going to work. I'll move on to the next one. Good. Yeah, you have to have have a a few plans in place. And Mm -hmm. I'm a very visual person, so I get like a big big sort of death calendar with one month, really like a huge big calendar thing with big squares for every day. Yep. And I can see what every month is having, like where I am, where I'm ticking clinic, I can't do one there, too close to that three-day event, yep. you know, and, yep. and plan everything out, roll the horse out, which you've been there doing, it's all in pencil, so I'm change it, uh-huh. rub it out and change it, and away we go. I hate writing in pen because then you can't change things. Yep. You know, a strange mental thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> when you went to school, did you learn to ride with a pencil or a pen? Pencil to start with. 
and then pen, yeah. But being dyslexic as well, mm. the whole sort of computer, I can just do with my calendar on the phone. Yep. I try and deal with the calendar on the computer and that sort of stuff. It just gives you like a raised heart rate and really <laughs> I have a small panic attack about it. Yep. I just can't. I can't deal with it at all because yeah. it just seems so foreign to me. I like to just see it all like that in front of me. Yes. And I'm very clear that in my mind what needs to be done. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, Megan, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners? Philosophy. It's interesting you ask me to do that because I've always often thought about doing a you know, DVD or writing a book or doing something like that mm. of my training things and, and putting everything into together. Yep. And the thought of trying to put that all into like one, one or two sentences. Like, it freaks me out. Yeah. There's yeah. so many dice, everything. But I just guess at the end of the day, it's like you never, ever, ever give up uh-huh. because things are going to go south all the time. Yep. And if you are affected by that emotionally a bit too much, you know, it's hard to bounce back from that. And I can say that so flippantly and so easily because that's just the way I am. And but for other people, they get really emotionally invested in things and, like, can really upset them when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe I have a, a small splashing of Asperger's in me because being having a stutter when I was a kid, I was a bit deaf and had a lazy eye and some eye surgery. So a whole pile of small things, you know, that weren't wrong with me but weren't normal. Mm. And, and my ability just to move on from a disaster, go, okay, what's next? James, my mum, always just go to me, yeah, you're a bit harsh, Megan, you know, <laughs> really. <laughs> you know, you're a bit softer sometimes. But I think you have to have a bit of that to be resilient. Yes. And you've got to have that bit of a stiff upper lip and a bit like girls don't cry. Like, it's all very non-PC, but you have to have that. Yep. You've got to be tough. If you're not tough, you absolutely will not make it to top level. And you've got to... Believe in your horse. Be absolutely in love with your horse as well and not treat them like a machine because you put your life in their hands, jumping these big fences, and you've got to know that you can absolutely trust them. And if you're going up a grade, it is from grade four to grade three in plenty of clubs, up to like 87 metres, and it's still not very big fences, but you've got up that grade. If you have any doubts about your horse, in trusting them, they will feel that. So you have to go and say, well, I'm still doubting things. I need to train better. I need to get help with this, you know, good coaching or working out your self or practice that thing that freaks you out on that horse a hundred and hundred of times. So, yeah, you've got to be tough. You've got to never give up. Love and trust your horse because you guys are the partnership out there. Yep. And, um, oh, and kids... Say thanks to your parents, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we're all guilty of not being nice enough to our parents and taking for granted what they do for us in that sport, like cutting us around and all the rest of it. Um, but I tell you what, my parents just put so much effort into me, like just huge amount, and you can never thank them enough, really. And I certainly didn't at the time. Mm. Guilty of that, 100%. So it's, um, 
and that tea. And also, oh, there's so many things, so I kind of break it down to a few more <laughs> ones. If you've got people around you that are cutting you down, friends that don't like you being successful or winning an event, you cut you down, you cut them out of your life. Yep. They're not your friend. Mm. That will drag you down. And I see it over and over again. And the social media, oh, my God, it drives me crazy. <laughs> the kids can be, you know, like a messenger and they're just these snide comments. And I had none of that, you know, and, and growing up and, and the rest of it. And I was that little stuttering blonde one that couldn't talk with a Coke bottle glass at school. I should have been torn apart and I wasn't. You know, so I was just lucky. And so, yeah, you just got to always put yourself in the right environment to succeed. Yep, yep. Megan, that, yeah. I think that's some really good lessons. You know, it's not just one thing. There were quite a few good lessons there that yeah. people can use and good life lessons, you know. I think they were good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and don't ask Megan to something that doesn't do sentences. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Oh, yeah. For someone who... <laughs> you can't talk, but I definitely talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, how can people contact you? By email. So it's yep. Megan at Kirby Parks. I haven't changed my email yet. So it's K-I-R-B-Y-P-A-R-K for kirbypark.com. Okay. Or just on Facebook. So it's Megan Jones and also I've got Megan Jones' eventing team as well. All right. And also those contact details will be on your page at Horse Chats which will be horsechats.com slash Megan Jones. Okay. So, Megan, it's been really good talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed your goal setting. I think you're just so focused. And, um, you know, when I asked what your future holds, you didn't just go, oh, well, maybe. You know, you said, no, I've got this and this and this and this and this. And you're very positive and very motivated. And uh, we certainly wish you the best of luck in everything that you're doing. And we'll be looking forward to catching up with you soon anyway. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for talking to us today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.